I'm really glad that each one of you are here. I'm glad that you chose to come on an amazing, gorgeous, beautiful day to meet with God's people, to praise His name. You know, we're convinced here at Cross Point that a clear view of God changes everything. As we literally bask in His love and His mercy and His grace, we're overwhelmed. Our God is so big and our God is so amazing. And somehow over the years or in the busyness of life, our perspective of God gets blurred. We don't see Him as clearly. We don't love Him as much as sometimes we ought to or did. And so we wonder, we wonder, God, what are you going to do? How am I going to get to know you? How can I see you more clearly? Every Sunday we spend time here focusing on God, listening to God, and responding to God. And today actually isn't any different other than it's Mother's Day, and we're going to focus on Ruth. Ruth is an Old Testament book. If you want to open your Bibles or your flat screens, uh, it's way in the beginning of the whole Bible, and it's only four chapters long. But this is an amazing book. Now, let me just say this. I know all the guys right now are looking at me. Go, Rick. Okay, it's Mother's Day. I guess we have to do the old, you know, focus on... A lady, and let's get through this story pretty fast because, you know, there's some other more important Bible stories out there than Ruth. Folks, I am telling you, fasten your seatbelts. Ruth is an amazing story for guys and for ladies. It really is. We're going to actually focus on two moms today who saw God, who saw God clearly and trusted Him. Ruth and Naomi will help us understand God better. But more than that, is going to open our eyes to the story of redemption. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for loving us the way you do and caring for us the way you do. Lord, I am amazed that you pursue us. In spite of our good intentions, God, we continually fail and run We continually sin, we continually miss the mark, and there are times, God, that we just don't feel really good about our actions. But you pursue us. You love us. You went to the cross to show us. You shed your blood to redeem us. God, this story happened so long ago, but there's some amazing truths in it. I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray, Father, that there wouldn't be anything that's said today that would distract what you want us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three redeemers in our short story today. To redeem is actually to gain or to regain a possession 
in exchange for a payment, or it is to buy back something that you originally had owned. It's a word that we often don't use, at least today. But a redeemer is one who redeems, or a redeemer is one who buys back something that you had already owned. Let me introduce you to the redeemers in today's drama. First of all, we have Boaz. He's the obvious redeemer. We have Ruth. She's a hidden redeemer. And we have Jesus. He is the promised redeemer. But let's get into the story, and I think you'll understand how all this comes together. Elimelech and Naomi were married. They lived in Bethlehem in Judea, part of Israel, and they lived during the time of Judges. Now, if you read through your Bible, and again, some of you are on that reading through the Bible plan that we started back in January, you had just finished up Judges. But Judges comes to a place where, whoa, there are so many children of God who are running from God. Israel at this time was God's chosen people. And he loved Israel, and he wanted to be their king, and he wanted to be their leader. But Israel kept choosing, well, the gods, the pagan gods, the gods of their neighbors. And they kept going down wrong paths. Well, in the land of Israel, when the judges came, everyone was really doing what was best in their own eyes. When we don't have God and we leave God out of our lives, things become messy. So there was anarchy and there was confusion. And there weren't a whole lot of people that trusted God. There was also a great famine in the land. And to be quite honest, for us when we experience famines here in the States, it probably doesn't affect us that much. There are too many different things that can happen, plus... You know, we can buy food all over the world. But if you transport yourself back in an agricultural type of environment, they were dependent on rain. They were dependent on no frost. They were dependent on good weather. Well, there was a famine, and it was disastrous. In the Bible, Israel's famines were often a test of faith. And at times... It was because they ran from God or they were being chastised. So we read in this first chapter that Elimelech flees from Bethlehem and goes to Moab with Naomi and his two sons, Milan and Kilion. This scenario would literally shout if you lived back then. Nobody from Israel would go and settle in Moab. Moabites were mortal enemies. Israel despised them. Actually, throughout all the scriptures, this godless culture epitomized all that was evil. Now, this could be because Elimelech's faith was wavering. But I don't think it was. You see, Milan and Kilion are Canaanite names. 
Now, we wouldn't know that, of course. And names today probably don't mean a whole lot, but back then, it was really clear that Elimelech was running from God. God was not a priority in his household. In fact, he probably was worshiping other gods, and when famine came, he looked around and said, well, what's the best I can do? Let's try Moab. Let's go live there for a few years. I mean, actually, we kind of agree with their culture at the moment, so let's just do that. So they took off. Now, the proper response to chastisement or even to tests would be to stay there, would be able to trust your God rather than run. Elimelech did not. He seemed to turn away from God, refusing to repent, even running from God. In the first chapter, we find that this family stayed in Moab about 10 years. Okay? And during that time, Elimelech dies. The two boys, well, they are getting a little older, and they marry Moabites. Orpha and Ruth. And then the two boys die. Things were hard before, but things were really hard for these three ladies. Nothing could have been worse for Naomi, Orpha, or Ruth. Naomi, for one thing, was childless now, widowed, impoverished, and aging. Now that in itself, those aren't kisses of death, at least in our culture. But back then it was. For you not to have a family, for you not to have children was almost anathema. To be poor and to be old. Now Orpha and Ruth, they were young, they were widowed, but they were also childless. Now, if we look at this whole picture and we just look at the whole of scriptures, my guess is is that actually this family was being chastised. It was being punished. God desired deeply that they would understand all that he had for them, and they basically ran. The problem is, is that God was judging, but the women were the ones who were suffering. The scriptures tell us in this first chapter that Naomi's first decision as a responsible head of the family would be to go back home, go back to Bethlehem. She knew better. So while Orpha and Ruth and Naomi were walking, Naomi tests the girls. She tells them very casually, go back. Go back, girls. Go back to your where you grew up, there is a whole, there's a way better chance that you guys are going to be able to survive and you guys will have full lives and meaningful lives. Don't go with me. Well, the girls responded very quickly, no. We want to go with you and we want to go to your people. Now, I want to stop right here because at least at this moment, there's not a lot of history. We know that the girls at least 
knew Naomi for a few years. But life was hard. And back in that culture, when you married into a family, you lived with that family. You saw how they responded. I don't know again if the girls had ever seen Elimelech. Maybe he had died before they had gotten married. But we know this, they knew Naomi very well. And in spite of the hard times or the hard scenarios or a disobedient husband, she had amazing faith in God. Naomi's life had been attractive through these storms. And I actually think this is a huge statement about Naomi's faith. She really trusted God. This is not so unusual even in our culture today where one spouse um, maybe is not fearing God very much or very often, and another spouse is hanging on to God for, for all of their life, for their decisions, to be encouraged, for care, for strength, for wisdom. And these ladies, although they were pagan, although they were Israel's mortal enemies, wow, they married their son. Sons die. And then Naomi says this, and I'd like you to look at verse 11. But she says in chapter 1, Why should you go with me? I am in a bad way. I will drag you down with me. Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you. In fact, at the end of verse 13, at the end of verse 13, she says this. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a spot where you thought God was now your enemy. But there have been plenty of times in our lives, in our journey, where we look at circumstances. And maybe we just don't seem to get the right job, or maybe the marriage that we had hoped would just bring us great blessing has been really hard. Or maybe there's been a twist in our health. Or maybe there's been some other tragedies. And and you've been faithful, and you've talked to God, and you've prayed to God. And yet, There's a time when God has raised his fist against me. Wow. It's hard. And although Naomi was struggling and seeing reality, I think, again, she was painting a picture and really wondering if these girls were going to go with him or with her. Well, at that moment, Orpha left, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. 
in verse 14. And again they wept together, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly. She tries again. Hey, why don't you go with Orpha? You, listen, I'm, I'm just not going to be the right person. But Ruth was determined to stay with Naomi. Look at verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. You see, Ruth passed the test and stayed with her mother-in-law. She was so committed to Naomi and her God. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out. Here was one godly mother, one godly lady, in the midst of a really hard time, trying to do what's best for her daughter-in-laws. One said, okay, I get it. But Ruth said, I want what you have. I have never seen anybody love people, encourage people, strengthening people, going through the stuff you're going through. There's no one here in Moab that I've ever known do that. I want what you have, Naomi. I want your God. I want to be with your people. I know things are going to be more difficult, but I want what you have. Her devotion to God was real. Certainly she was bound together by friendship, but she was also bound together by faith. Ruth's life would be harder. And actually Naomi tried to share that with her. He goes, you're not understanding all this. You're going to go into our land and you're going to be a despised foreigner. There's not going to be any hope for you to get married. Our life is going to be full of struggle. And the best you're going to be is a servant. Naomi was trying to paint an accurate picture. And Ruth said, I'll tell you what. I'll take my chances. Your God is amazing. I love how he gave you strength. I love how he encouraged your heart. I want that God. Now the story gets really good. I love the Bible. This is a bestseller. All right, for a reason. But this story takes a little bit different twist. There's really a cool guy that enters, and Ruth is amazing. Plus this mother-in-law. She's got a few tricks up her sleeve, all right? I know this. Ruth must have been courageous and strong because she volunteers to glean. Now, some of you have heard and understood what gleaning is, but the scriptures are very clear that God cared a whole lot for the widowed and the orphan. And everyone who owned a field and harvested a field, they were not allowed to harvest all of the crop. They literally had to leave some of the crop 
available for those who are poor or those who are widowed or those, well, again, there was no social security. There was no pension back then. And so what would happen is that people, again, harvesters would go through and and just not take everything. Well, the reason that it was very dangerous for the most part is that any woman that would go there was pretty vulnerable. The farmhands are farmhands. And if they liked what they saw, they usually abused her and hurt her. So Ruth, on top of that, was a foreigner. Yet she knew her only, well, way out of this would be to go glean. So she was a courageous person. She knew Naomi couldn't go do it. But God is walking with these ladies. The scriptures say that she finds herself in a field of Boaz. Boaz is the owner. She finds safety and plenty. Again, I'm not sure how she got there. First day she got her gleaning clothes on. And she started walking out the door with her baskets and whatever else you need for gleaning. And Naomi said, where are you going there, Ruthie? (laughs) We got to eat, Naomi. I better get to the fields. So the Bible, again, doesn't mention at all how she got there. But she starts walking. And this is all about God's sovereignty. He was going to take care of this lady and her daughter-in-law. And God somehow directed Ruth, to this field. And as soon as she got in the field, and as soon as Boaz came back, I kind of get the opinion that Boaz was a little smitten with this Moabite. And I think when she walked in there, and I'm not sure again if she was just the new kid on the block, but Boaz started talking with her. And Boaz started interacting with her. And Boaz reassured her and says, Hey, my friend, don't go to any other fields. Just go to my field. And what I've done, I've made sure that all my farmhands, they will not lay a hand on you. You're going to have free reign right here every single day. You come back and glean from my field. Now, there's not a whole lot written about Boaz, but let me share this. Out of some Jewish tradition, um, we find a little bit of what Boaz's situation might have been. It looks like, at least at this time, he was an older gentleman, but he was a a long-time single landowner. He was a lifelong bachelor. And the reason he probably was a lifelong bachelor, and we may put more on this than it is, but tradition says that um, literally he probably had some physical imperfections and quirks. Now, you know, if, if some dude has some physical imperfections and quirks, whatever they are, my guess is you might have a tough time dating him. At least initially. And just until you see how wonderful his heart is, right? Isn't that what everybody tells you? You know? Oh, he's got a great heart. 
Okay, but I got to look at them every day, you know? Um, can't see the heart so much, you know? But, whoa! But if you go back into this culture, really, um, Boaz had to probably choose to be single for some reason, all right? Because marriages were arranged. They just were. It wasn't based on our whole dating kind of a scenario. And so, anyway, Boaz was this older, kind gentleman, Ruth, was this young, courageous Mobitus. Well, Naomi saw God's hand of blessing here. This is so cool. Naomi comes back. She's got an armful of grain. And she's so excited. And I'm sorry, Ruth did that. And Naomi looks and says, where'd you get all that? But this dude named Boaz, he said, come back every single day. He is giving me, I cannot believe it. This is so cool, huh, Naomi? And Naomi has that little smile on her face and says, oh boy, I think there might be more here than just helping you get a few extra grains, you know? And so what, and and you can read through, there's four chapters. It's not... um, a really long story. But Naomi sets her up well. And by setting up well, look in chapter 3, in verse 3. Now, I'll tell you what to do, Naomi says. And this actually is good advice for anyone, perhaps, going courting or dating. Just letting you know. I, way back here. That was free. Take a bath. <laughs> Good advice, man. You know, you're a little smelly. Take a bath. Put on perfume. Ooh. Okay, so you're going to go gleaning in a field. You're going to take a bath first. You're going to put perfume on and dress in your nicest clothes. Ah, this is the end of the threshing season. And Boaz is going to be tired at the end of the day. And what I want you to do is you're going to find Boaz. And when everybody else falls asleep, you're going to walk up to Boaz. And you're going to lay down at his feet. Now again, for our culture, this is a little bit odd advice. You know, we we just have to look at this. But Ruth had trusted Naomi so far. But you got to understand, in this culture, Naomi was way over the edge. Although some of you have perhaps proposed, some of you ladies, to your husbands because they're slow (laughs) and dense. Okay? But back in this culture, no, that's not what you do. This is crazy. And so Naomi said this. He says, I want you to go there. And then when he wakes up, um, I want you to say this. I am your servant, Ruth. Spread your blanket over me. You are my goel. Okay. Sounds like a good plan. 
She takes a bath, puts her perfume on, has a great outfit, goes and to his feet, and, and Boaz finally wakes up, smelling something other than grain, you know. And Ruth says, hey, I'm your handmaiden. Would you please spread your cloak or garment or blanket over me? You are my goel. Now we're going to hit two Hebrew words today, but one Hebrew word is, you are my redeemer. You are my kinsman redeemer. You are my family redeemer. You are the one that's going to be able to save me. Now at this moment, Boaz could have shushed her like a fly. No, 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 no. I'm not in the mood. This marriage thing isn't such a good idea. I don't want to share my inheritance. I'm going to have to go to the town tomorrow and kind of sell. No, 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 no. I'm in a busy season. It's harvest. Get out of here. But he doesn't. He knew that something was up, and he could be the Redeemer. So he makes this promise to her, actually protected her and guarded her through the night and, and sent her off before daybreak and, and said this, I will make sure you are redeemed, you are rescued from a dismal future. He says, I'm going to be your knight in shining armor. How cool is that? Boaz then in chapter 4, verse 13 redeems Ruth. Now again, uh, the story gets pretty technical. It's kind of fun to read. But he goes to the city gate, which is the place where all business happened, and he made sure again that everything was right. And after he made sure it was right, verse 13 So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Now let me try to draw this together. First of all, I left out some key parts, and I I just encourage you to read through Ruth. But Boaz was the obvious redeemer. His obedience was going to be costly. It would be costly financially. He would have to provide for her. He would have to buy her property back. He would have to spend a whole lot of money. It would cost him socially. To marry a Moabite would not be a good thing. But he didn't care. He wanted to make this right. He was kind and he was gracious. And because he redeemed Ruth and eventually Naomi, he changed a family and a history. This all happened in spite of Elimelech's poor choices. God was so gracious here. He reached down and took care of this family and gave them a life that they never would have had. Ruth was the hidden redeemer. She was obedient at great cost. Remember, Orpha left. And it was in her best interest. She was going to enter a different culture and a world. She was going to leave her family back in Moab. Moab. 
There was no security or future for her. She was gracious and kind. And as a result of caring for Naomi, Naomi's life changed. I'm going to give you another Hebrew word. And I think this Hebrew word is something that will come up over and over and over again in the Older Testament. And it's important if you don't know it that you do know it. It's the Hebrew word chased. Chased. It literally means loving kindness. It's a word that describes God all the way through the Old Testament. Now, some of you might be a little more familiar with New Testament words and Greek words. This would be likened to the word agape. All right? But in Hebrew, it is a full and a, and a magnificent kind of uh, reputation. Loving kindness. And it describes God beautifully. You'll also see it, and up on the screen there, you'll see three references where Ruth is a recipient of chased and a doer of chased. God is a God who loves us and desires deeply for us to experience His kindness. Lastly, Jesus was the promised real Redeemer. In chapter 4, you may have read this and and you might have just glazed over it. But in chapter 4, starting in verse 14, after Ruth um, was married to Boaz in in verse 13, uh, the women of the town got together. Imagine that, huh? And they got Naomi together, and this is what they said. Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. Now, if you left it right there, you might be thinking, these ladies are talking about Boaz. And actually, they are. But God was talking about someone else. Look at this next line. May this child be famous in Israel. That, that doesn't make sense if it's Boaz. I'm just letting you know. May he, this child, restore your youth. Boaz couldn't do that. And care for you in your old age. But he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. There is no way one woman would be better than seven sons. No offense, and please don't email me. All right? But in that culture, seven strapping guys. Whoa! Sorry, Nate, you wouldn't have done well in that, in, in, in that one. Okay? But really what happened is he, he was just kind of shout, or the ladies were shouting out. This was amazing. Ruth is amazing. She showed us love. Boaz and Ruth pointed us to a real redeemer. He came to redeem at a great cost. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he is so rich in kindness, speaking of Jesus and grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Jesus Christ gave up his life so we might live and be rescued from poverty and a pathetic future. Do you see this picture? 
Jesus modeled for us how to live, how to be a great people. God himself was called Israel's Goel. In Isaiah 41, 14, he said, I am the Lord, your Redeemer, your Goel. I am the Holy One of Israel. You see, this whole Bible is a story of redemption. It's a story of you and me running from God. And because of our sin, because of our rebelliousness, yeah, we can blame Adam and Eve, but the truth is we're all in the same boat. God says, I love you. I want to die for you. I want to buy you back by shedding my blood. I want to give you an opportunity to live abundant life and eternal life. That's what I want. God takes messes and makes them beautiful. God redeems the marginalized and gives them kingdom significance because of our faith and God's chastened. He brings us to a position of great favor. He endows us with riches and privileges. We are exalted to be the Redeemer's bride. We are loved by Him with the profoundest affection. But today is also Mom's Day. And I'd be remiss if I didn't share with you the profound effect that a godly mom can have. Yeah, we focused on Boaz, and we are unbelievably grateful for Christ's redemption. But there was this lady, Ruth, that made undeniable sacrifice. And it changed her family. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these pictures. I I thank you, Father, even though the culture is so odd to us. We don't understand all of these idiosyncrasies. But if we look at this, your plan, your sovereignty is, is so amazing. For you did what Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi. And you did what Ruth did for Naomi. And you pursue us. Because of Chasen. Because of your loving kindness. And we just want to say thank you. That's the reason we sing, God. That's the reason that we have hope for the future. That's the reason why we can live abundantly in spite of circumstances. Our circumstances don't dictate our joy, God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.